to the first news rehash episode of Highly Informed, recorded on February 11, 2024, brought to you by Benzinga and Greenspoon Martyr. I'm your host, Encyclopedia John Puro. Now, just for a little intro, since this is our first episode, my brain soaks up cannabis knowledge like a sponge. Uh, and another fact about me is that I have a limitless supply of dad joke style humor. Uh, unfortunately, my wife and daughters appreciate neither of these things, and so I've repurposed that knowledge and that, dare I say, actually call it humor, I've repurposed it into podcast format as highly informed. Uh, and so after a couple of years of actually having it as a podcast cannabis last week, you know, 80 plus episodes, interviews with, you know, luminaries in the cannabis industry like Nancy Whiteman, I hopped firms. Uh, and I'm relaunching it now, you know, but to put it simply, this is like the weekend updated weed, or I'd say that it's Puro's persistent pursuit of perfect pot puns, weed wordplay, and awesome alliteration and acronyms. Now, just a little bit more about myself. I like to consider myself a pure pot person, and I love fellow pure pot people, um, you know, with your stories that I hear when I'm at networking events of how it's, you know, changed people's lives, you know, one by one. I love that. And I'm in this industry ultimately, you know, while I have mouths to feed because of its unique capacity to do good in terms of, you know, helping people that are hurt by, you know, war on drugs, uh, as well as, you know, the medical benefits. And I'm talking about some pharmaceutical grade deployment of different cannabinoids. Um, to potentially cure things like cancer. I cover all of the, you know, news and studies, not necessarily in this episode. It's a little bit atypical. And ultimately, that's the thing that's incredibly exciting that will be bitter, bittersweet ultimately, because there will be people that we've lost that should be here if we didn't, you know, we hadn't lost that research. So I'm very thankful to Benzinga for agreeing to be uh, the platform for the podcast, despite years of my ceaselessly trying to tear the laudable Lane lads, the brothers Patrick and Elliot Lane, apart. Um, glad that didn't, you know, sabotage us in any fashion. Uh, and they wanted video content. So whereas, you know, Cannabis last week, the news rehash episodes were solely uh, in audio, I am trying something different. We're going with video content. But please know, when you're watching this, you know, when you're watching on these news rehash episodes on video, anytime there's a jump cut, it means that I zocked something up. And Zock, I should tell you, uh, is I thought it'd be logical to come up with my uh, you know, daughters their own curse words, because it's strategic. You never end up getting in trouble for them. Um, and you can say them as much as you want, and you come up with good ones that are really fun to say. So if you see a jump cut, beep, 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 and it just ports over, just know that I, I messed something up. So this episode is a little bit atypical in the sense that I decided to play Tokadamus um, or Smokadamus for 2024, uh, Tokadamus or Smokadamus. Just to be clear, um, as a lifelong Yankees fan, you know, I um, just kind of feel the need sometimes to make fun of Boston accents. While I respect the Boston Red Sox organization, um, the accents, I think, are hysterical because they're 25 out of 26 accents. They sound normal, and then arbitrarily they sound ridiculous with that last letter. Um, so, you know, it happens sometimes I can't control myself. I'm just a child masquerading as a cannabis lawyer. So, um, but basically, you know, it's going to be similar to other episodes in the sense that, you know, I'm breaking it up according to different topics we cover. We always have the highlight, 
pop punk always intended stories and the golden nugget stories, which are more the deep dive, sometimes tip of the spear uh, stories where I recognize trends. And then I go through federal, state news, business news, science medical, um, pop polls and studies, uh, as well as international news, miscellaneous, celebrity cameos, social equity focuses, uh, and also uh, psychedelics news. I, I like to cover um, to a certain extent, see what's going on there. But this is going to be an atypical episode because I'm playing Tokadamus, Smokadamus. I can never make my choice. You know, I let my guests, you know, like Jason Wilde, choose which one they want to do, and we proceed with it. Um, so let's get right into it. And, you know, in our highlight story of you know the year, uh, will there be rescheduling to Schedule Three this year? Uh, and other high-level items, what states are we looking at theoretically to legalize? We'll talk about a couple you know, highlights. We're going to talk about a country to legalize. I'm going to mention one thing there that's not as positive, but I think it's very important for the industry to focus on. Uh, and then, in terms of the golden nugget story, I'm going to file the farm bill, the 2023, um, mm, the 2024, mm, maybe the 2025 farm bill under Golden Nuggets, because I just think that it needs to get a ton of attention uh, and perhaps it's not getting quite as much as it requires. So now before we get down to business, I need to make my standard disclaimer. By day, right, as I am counsel, you know, Ken Siglieri paid for my time to engage in strategy for my clients and connector, counsel, Ken Siglieri connector, you know, using my AI contact manager to, you know, help my clients out, make those million dollar connections. Um, I need to note that any views I express during the podcast are my own, uh, and they're not those of Greenspoon Martyr um, or of Benzinga. All right. Now, also keep in mind that just because I'm a lawyer, this podcast, and I may be dropping things that you consider knowledge bombs, this podcast is not legal advice, so don't be a dum-dum and pretend that it is. And as always, um, if you have any feedback, please send it to highlyinformedpodcast at benzinga.com. All right. Time to finally feed my pot complex again. So let's smell what the pot is cooking in the wide world of weed news. Uh, in our highlight story, you know, playing Tokodamus for 2024, um, this is the federal story that I'm raising to the highlight level status, and that's the you know potential rescheduling of cannabis from Schedule One, where drugs are supposed to have no medical value. We're talking about things like heroin, the absurdity of cannabis being on that. And CBD is the active ingredient FDA approved drug that reduces certain children's seizures by 80%. Oh no, nothing, no medical value in any part of the plant. But we're talking about rescheduling to schedule three uh, based on the recommendation that health and human services made to the DEA. Right now we're waiting for the DEA to come to its own decisions on this. It's, you know, sent a letter saying, hey, this is us. And while this, you know, procedure typically takes a pretty long time, there's all the reasons in the world why this would happen on a quicker timeline, and that's, you know, for political purposes. And so the reason here is, you know, Schedule 3 is essentially saying that there's some medical value there. It's where ketamine uh, and Tylenol codeine, that's where those drugs are. Uh, and so this is, you know, theoretically a very, very big step. It's just, you know, how we break that grass ceiling, right? Not bit by bit, but hit by hit. So to recap really, really like quickly what comes into play here, right? The main benefit and the huge benefit of Schedule 3 um, with rescheduling would be 280E 
right, would be eliminated as an issue for our industry, right? The thing that's preventing us from deducting most, you know, normal, you know, uh, a lot of business expenses that other businesses can deduct is 280E, which arbitrarily, arbitrarily only extends to Schedule 1 and Schedule 2. That would no longer be an issue. Now, here's the reason why I think that this is going to happen this year. Uh, purely for political reasons. Well, first off, you know, we are in a presidential election year that should not be lost on us, an incredibly you know, consequential presidential election, and President Biden is struggling with certain demographics of voters um, that he really needs, one of them being young voters. Uh, and so young voters, I recently saw a poll, don't know who funded it, love it when I can like focus on that, but in that instance, I don't have it. The young voters, apparently, I don't know how true this is, they said that there would be an 11% bump in approval of Biden in young voters if he makes the Schedule 3 move. Uh, and so this is something that he can do without bipartisan support. I am not expecting a lot legislatively at all in anything this year because of the presidential election, but he could theoretically make this happen sooner. And really, I think the main possible impediment from the DEA's eyes um, would be the issues of some international treaties, but I think we're just going to take a step back from them. And I think that some of the progress that we're seeing, you know, the EU's being the main issue there in terms of international treaties, but we'll talk about Germany and some of the progress that they're making. And the other thing I want to say is, right, like there's a reason why delivering this for young voters is something that would work for um, him to boost the numbers because young voters, Gen Z, Right. This is a crazy statistic to me, not knowing, you know, if they're exposed to all the different products and everything. But Gen Z prefers cannabis to alcohol 70 to 30 percent. Uh, and I think that that percentage split is only going to grow further. And we also found out recently, I think just this past week, that 17% of American adults consume cannabis. And I believe that was at least on a monthly basis. So in terms of Schedule 3, what's the timeline that we're talking? I think the first half of the year, you know, there has to be enough time for Biden to get credit for it. Uh, and so that's my personal thinking. And the other, you know, highlight story, but I'm going to call it, you know, golden nugget, is I just feel like ultimately how much attention are people paying to this and they need to pay as much attention as possible uh, is Farm Bill 2023, which was supposed to get passed in 2023 because they get passed every five years. And the last one was, you know, 2018. That didn't happen. Um, because of how dysfunctional Congress is. And so it got pushed to 2024. And the scuttlebutt I'm hearing from people, you know, Congress people in the know is that this may actually not happen until next year. So just to recap really, really quickly, to do a rehash uh, really, really quickly, Mitch McConnell accidentally, you know, he, Mitch McConnell trying to throw a bone to his Kentucky farmers who needed something to farm, uh, he legalized hemp. Uh, but the ingenuity of the people in the industry when the CBD market crashed resulted in people starting to make products um, with converted cannabinoids like Delta-8 that was psychoactive. And more recently, we're seeing a proliferation of pop products in which the 0.3% THC, which is how they define hemp, that 0.3% is extracted and then put into products like beverages that you could buy at convenience stores. Uh, and so... That is, you know, that's kind of what's happened over the past five years. Uh, certain states have made certain things illegal, uh, but we're coming up on this farm bill again. And, you know, with what I'm hearing of people who don't typically partake in these things, but say with beverages, you know, as an entry point, 
you know, like I've, you know, same family members of mine that have never been down with weed, but all of a sudden they're telling me, you know, that they're enjoying, you know, different beverage products. Um, they're, they're killer products. There's a reason why I'm secretary of the Cannabis Beverage Association, right? They are the easiest entry point for people who are not going to smoke into the garden of weed and see what I did there. All right. So anyways, the farm bill is absolutely key here. Uh, and so, you know, what I think ultimately is going to happen is I think that there's some possibility and I'm frankly going to work towards it that, you know, this is the last chance on the federal level, in my opinion, to really address this, right? Because in the past five years, we've had dangerous, um, psychoactive, super strong cannabinoids, you know, with basically zero regulation, um, out there in the marketplace, people being hospitalized, like when the CDC, you know, did a joint um, you know, memo with the FDA about 646 people that were hospitalized due to Delta 8 products, including kids. And what happened? There was movement on the state level, but there wasn't any federal movement. And what it comes down to is no agency, be it state or federal, you know, any of them are as staffed as they need to be. Uh, and so they have limited enforcement capabilities. And the fact of the matter is the FDA and the DEA have to deal with fentanyl. Um, well, I mean the DA specifically, you know, and then there are things like this article I read in the Times recently about something called Tianeptine, which is, you know, being sold in the same convenience stores as these hemp-derived products, and it basically simulates an opioid, uh, and it could create crazy addictions, and it can kill people. So I think it's only fair that the attention of regulators is focused on items that kill people rather than cannabis, which, you know, doesn't. Um, so we'll see, um, but I'm thinking that it's very possible that on the other side of this, you know, we could try and create some type of regulated market, port over, you know, uh, hemp, you know, Delta 9, a psychoactive substance, you know, with, um, instead of being 0.3% THC, using the umbrella issue of, um, you know, hot hemp, increase that up to 1%, triple the commercial viability of creating all these products from where they're at already, and then, Effectively, it's self-federal legalization, right? We talk about, you know, red state weed, Delta 9 products being sold in places like Texas that we're very, very far away from actual, you know, state legalization of an adult use model. So um, I think that that's the biggest story of the year. Ultimately, these products being out there, I don't think that there's just going to be put back in the bottle. And I'll say like one important statistic that I always enjoy, you know, from Bo Whitney and Whitney Economics was the cannabinoid hemp product market, he estimated at $28 billion, right? That is bigger than all of the combined state medical and adult use marijuana, sorry, high THC hemp, since I don't like to use racist terms, high THC hemp markets. And we're seeing major beverage distributors and the people with the real money um, starting to get involved in pushing forward on the farm bill in favor of these beverage products, you know, being legalized, the, you know, edible products being legalized, THCA flour, which is the most hysterical quote unquote loophole, loophole of all, uh, being legalized. But, you know, who knows when the farm bill will pass. Uh, we're already overdue and the clock is going tick, toke, tick, toke. <sighs> Couldn't help myself. Now, going over to kind of our standard format, going over to federal news, you know, playing Tokodamas on another topic there. Another thing that I would say is obviously people still talking about the Safe Banking Act. 
Um, this is something that could have a nice big net positive impact on the industry in the sense that it could decrease banking fees, it could make things more convenient, you don't have to worry about your bank shutting your personal bank accounts just because you're in the cannabis industry. Uh, and so safe banking, I thought, looked great when, uh, you know, Cory Booker came around, they mixed it with some, you know, social equity kind of considerations. And I thought we looked good, at least in the lame duck session before the Dems handed over the House to Republicans. Instead, um, lo and behold, Mitch McConnell, him again, um, after he inadvertently legalized psychoactive cannabinoids, the, the dirt that I heard from, you know, Congress people in the know um, is that basically after he did that, he doesn't want to do, he doesn't trust anything that relates to cannabis. And so, it, you know, while there would have been the chance to potentially switch over 10 Republicans, you know, to get past the filibuster, you know, to get a filibuster proof majority, McConnell nipped that in the bud. Um, ooh, nipped that in the bud. That was a spontaneous pop on people. You're watching it happen in real time. Now, uh, in terms of the safe banking bill, the safer banking bill, now that they're kind of calling it this, you know, hybrid with the social equity hybrid, another one, they just roll off my tongue. Um, because as I said earlier, it's an election year. I don't think anything's going to happen. Uh, and so I don't think it's likely that safe banking passes solely for that reason. Now, moving on to states. Now, just to highlight a couple of states since, you know, I've been rambling and generally we try to aim for these episodes to be 27 minutes or less because fun fact I learned the average Americans commute, you know, if you still do that post pandemic, the average Americans commute whether it's by driving or by public transportation, they both coincidentally happen to be 27 minutes. So I wanna to try to give you 27 minutes or less. So moving on quickly in terms of states, uh, where I think there's gonna be some interesting stuff happening. One of the biggest states that everyone is talking about, let's give them something to talk about. No, you don't have to work on me singing. Um, in terms of adult use legalization is Florida. Um, so Florida, it has already over a $1 billion medical market because of all those, you know, I mean, as you'll see in a lot of states, you know, once they're legalized for a couple of years, um, the demographic that is the most resistant to legalization in the first place, the elderly folks who've been around the longest time with the politicized bullshit war on drugs, they come around um, because they're in pain more than anybody um, and so they enjoy the beverages, the boobies and dadies down in Florida. And so, you know, now there's finally momentum on this ballot initiative. It really helps when, you know, MSOs like Truly specifically contribute more than $20 million to get the requisite signatures to get it on the ballot. Uh, and now Ron DeSantis is saying he's down with it and he's focusing on this instead of, you know, the presidential election. Um, really, I see the only impediment right now is I believe it's still in front of the Florida Supreme State Supreme Court. They're investigating whether or not, you know, one of the things that marijuana no betters, as I call them, uh, are doing now that they're on the losing side of history is they try to overrule, overrule the will of the people by challenging things in court. Uh, and so the state Supreme Court, you know, lets it proceed. And DeSantis signaling that he wants it, I think is a good sign. Um, then I would say that I think they could proceed, uh, though I will say this, right? As a presidential election, Florida has gone Republican in multiple recent presidential elections. Um, and so if the, I believe that the ballot initiative would be the same time as the general election. Uh, and the other thing we always see is reliably for any pot poll um, with respect to legalization before an ultimate vote, there always is a six to 7% slip 
um, from where we think it's going to end up. And so I haven't seen the most recent pop polls. I think, you know, Florida is, you know, pretty similar in terms of the other overall, where we're looking at 67 to 70% nationwide in terms of favoring adult use legalization. So I think that there's the possibility that it's going to be a close vote, but I still think that it's hopeful, you know, that's going to happen. And the fact that, you know, Florida legislators right now are already putting through bills um, to address the idea that uh, there's going to be caps on the potency of adult use products probably indicates that the legislators themselves think there's going to be legalization. So, you know, moving on, I think there's going to be also some type of movement. There has to be in Virginia, which had one of the best, you know, origin stories of legalization, where the Dems did it legislatively and then promptly lost the governorship in one of the state houses. Republicans came in who have zero investment or desire to push this forward, but they're hitting certain deadlines. Uh, and so it's a fascinating state to watch, um, one with a decent sized population. And I know that there's some bills circulating. Uh, and so I think that that's one to keep an eye on. And in terms of implementation, Minnesota is another you know, state with the possible best origin story of any state in terms of legalization, where the Democratic lawmakers um, kind of hoodwinked the Republicans into legalizing hemp D9 ingestible products. Uh, and then basically once the, the cat was out of the bag, um, the Republicans, you know, it, it moved forward essentially with adult use legalization. But, you know, what did this prove in terms of legalization of these hemp, you know, D9 products, these psychoactive products that were being sold at bars, you know, where people were drinking alcohol uh, and also eating food, you know, unlike some of these on-site consumption models. I think what they showed is that Rome doesn't burn if people are consuming these things at the same time. Right? If everybody's shaking and baking, and I mean shaking martinis and getting baked at the same place, it's not a bad thing. In fact, this is what people have been doing for decades. Anyways, I think it's going to be very, very interesting to see how coming off of that model, and this is already the case in Minnesota, how they implement you know, the adult use market. Uh, and moving on to New York, the state of my birth. Uh, since I grew up in Shaolin, a.k.a. Staten Island, home of the Wu-Tang Clan, Colin Jost, uh, and Pete Davidson, and not so much else. You know, speaking from the perspective of someone who's heavily invested in, you know, I do a lot of work in the state, this is by far the most fakakta. Uh, you got to use the edition when I'm talking about um, New York. This is the most fakakta market. This is the most messed up market of any state around. And I say that from the macro perspective of covering all of them. Uh, and so I think that we're going to see a lot of growing pains. Pun intended again. Didn't mean to do it. Growing pains in the New York market with, uh, you know, thousands of illicit stores that need to be shut down. Um, selling products that include psychedelic products, chocolate bars that look like Snickers. Uh, and as a parent of two, I find that terrifying. And so I think that there's going to be some growing pains in New York. I mean, we're trying to fight off. I don't, you know, I felt bad. This is a pop pun. I call it Farmageddon, um, which was the first kind of one of the first sins in the New York market where all of these, you know, hemp farmers who had suffered in that market were given the opportunity to be some of the first growers, outdoor growers in the adult use market only to find that they had hundreds of millions of dollars of weed and no stores to sell them at. So, you know, I'm hoping that there's some relief for them there. They got a bunch of stores open as soon as possible, but their lawsuits are flying. 
Um, there's all sorts of regulatory issues that need to be sorted out. So I got my fingers crossed that this would be a great place for cannabis tourism. Um, but, you know, we'll see what happens. Moving over to business news. This has been a tough year in the industry, 2023. You know, due to what I honestly believe are avoidable issues, you know, where regulators don't learn from the pitfalls of previous pot programs in other states, you know, namely oversupply that leads to a race to the bottom and retail store prices and compression for cultivators that crashes the cannabis market. You know, I mean, the interesting thing, by the way, is consumers don't seem to mind because it really stuck out to me that Michigan and Massachusetts had their highest selling years ever. So the consumers are great, but if everyone's going out of business, it's not a healthy market ultimately. And so, you know, just to just kind of give a broad overview in terms of my thoughts about business, I think that they're going to continue being distressed assets available in mature states. So, you know, but I also just think that there are deals that are starting to flow. And so I think they're going to be, you know, greener pastures ahead in business. Moving over briefly to international news, I think obviously a lot of eyes are on Germany. Um, where the legalization hasn't played out necessarily in the plan that was as expansive as hoped, but like, let's not take this lightly. Um, you know, Germany, as I also like to call 99 puff balloons. Um, so apparently there's a final plan that's going to go for legalization, I believe in April. And so let's not take this lightly. This is a, this is a beachhead in Europe, like a legitimate adult use beachhead in Europe. I'm not, you know, counting the teeny state that I already did and I'm forgetting off the top of my head. Um, population of $80 million, one of the stronger countries, a strong economy. Um, I also noticed in like, you know, an EU kind of golden nugget story there that somebody in the EU decided to move forward with trying to investigate a comprehensive approach to medical cannabis reform, which now, interestingly enough, they need to get more than 1 million signatures in seven different countries each, I believe. Um, and I, you know, monitored Italy, uh, where they had no problem doing that. So if that is in fact the case, and I read that right, I think that that can go down. Uh, and so I also just want to highlight one thing, low light, right? Now, while I love to spread, you know, my propaganda, we all need to be kind of cognizant of the setbacks, you know, when science isn't favorable, whatever it is, right? If we're trying to push this forward, we all need to talk about Thailand, right? This is the first time where I think that there's been a country or a state that has legalized in some capacity and I'm not talking about like a state ballot initiative where it seems like the polls are golden and then everything goes wrong. I'm talking about a country that is deciding to put the legalization back in the bag right now. They opened up legalization it, you know, in a place that was great to grow it cheaply, export it, everything. And it just got so, I guess, out of hand in terms of what the regulators expected that rather than, you know, being Mr. McConnell sitting back and doing nothing, um, they're trying to put the cannabis back in the bag. Uh, and so I think that that's interesting, something that maybe we as a unit, as an industry could try and temper perhaps a little bit, because I think it's important. Um, but, you know, Thailand would have been a great, you know, to have a beachhead in uh, Asia. And I'm not talking about the, the increasingly large story of um, illicit, sometimes government backed, supposedly, uh, Chinese workers uh, in you know Oklahoma and different U.S. states making cannabis, uh, which is something that Republican legislators in the House are starting to key onto. I'm not talking about that. Thailand would have been a nice beachhead, but I don't know if that's going to happen. Now, I also always like to cover a bit of psychedelics news um, in the podcast, and so I'm going to do a very, very you know, tokerdamus or 
psychodominance, right, uh, overview of what I think is going to happen. And the bottom line is, I'm going to say simply that I think that there is going to continue to be a crazy, like just a surprising pace of states legalizing, including Republican states like Utah that had a veto-proof majority that legalized, right, the deployment of psychedelics um, in controlled therapy settings with licensed therapists for specific mental health conditions like PTSD, you know, certain things that, frankly, you know, um, a lot of veterans are suffering for, uh, suffering from. And there, frankly, is like the science is indisputable at this point, people. There is nothing that can help people on a mental health basis rewire their brains like that because you're literally opening your mind neural pathways um, when you have neuroplasticity than psychedelics. Uh, and so we're going to continue also, by the way, I think, see, you know, all this progress state by states. Republican states moving forward on this at surprising speed. And you're also going to see, if you haven't already, you might see some psychedelic products popping up in smoke shops and other places next to those hemp-derived cannabinoids. Uh, I see that in the illicit stores in New York when I you know, popped in. Uh, and then a lot of just other general stuff excited um, in the industry, but certainly I think on-site consumption is something to be excited about. But you know, we've ran long, uh, and so I'm going to sign off the way that I always do you know, with a movie reference that's at least 20 years old. You know, also, by the way, keep an eye out for all the dope discourse or the Can of Convo episodes. We're aiming for these news rehash episodes every other week. And then in the other weeks, we're going to be releasing interviews like the one we already aired with the one and only Jason Wilde of Terrasend. So I hope you enjoy them. Uh, and always feel free to reach out and give me some feedback. Remember, right, you're always welcome to reach out if you are someone who believes that we could smoke our cookies and eat them too. Uh, so feel free to shoot me an email. And as I always like to sign off, right? Stay grassy, my buds, and I'll see you soon.